Hey there, I'm Everett. I'm Baron. And welcome to Bro, Bro Have, Have You Seen? Hello. Hey, bro. How's it going? Pretty good. How you doing? Positively banging. Nice. <laughs> nice. As MacGruber might say. Uh, yeah, this week has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yep. Another, I mean, all things considered. Another know. week in quarantine. We kind of talked about it last week, so it's still yeah. going. We're, yeah, yeah. First full week, pretty much. Have you seen a lot of movies or yeah. TV or have you been, been entertained this yeah. week? Yeah, I've been watching quite a few movies. I'm kind of slowing down. I, I started with a big push and <laughs> kind of losing a little bit of steam, but I'll get it back at the end of the week and... I'm just taking a little bit of a little bit of a break, watching maybe one movie a day instead of like four, th- nice. three or four. So yeah, still I'm, going strong. I'm probably the opposite. I've been ramping up the last nice. couple of days, man. Like hey, I've been that's... really marathoning. Of course, I've been like in my apartment, and all my roommates just went home nice. uh, because like school is all online now, so there's no reason to stay. And uh, yeah, I'm just all alone in the apartment, nothing to do because quarantined. So it's really given me a lot of time to watch some movies and. Uh, as we'll talk about probably in a future episode that'll come out this week, uh, I've been watching some longer movies, nice. like longer runtime, that are have been on my list for a long time, and uh, finally decided to sit down and bust a couple of those out. So, Sweet. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about those and mm-hmm. uh, all that. But it's been a good week for movies, and I'm really excited for this episode. Yeah, um, me as well. Talking about the 50s. Yeah, five from the 50s. Sweet. Yeah. This has been an episode that I've like been anticipating, like super highly anticipated for we 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 planned this out I think at the beginning of the month or yeah. the end of last month kind of as we scheduled out the month and I just I've been trying to prep for it so I've watched a lot of different 50s movies. I won't talk about most of them, but it gave me a good feel of, you know, different countries during this time, different uh directors, different types of movies. So, that's something that we'll definitely get into with each title is the country of origin, kind of the historical context, because it's very important uh, during the 50s, I mean, coming out of World War II, which was a world war, so, you know, affects every country, so mm-hmm. that's something that we'll definitely talk about with as we go on with most of the movies. Yeah, true. Um, and my list is a little bit uh, American-heavy, mm-hmm. USA, and... Um, yeah, like it's not that I don't like a lot of foreign movies because I do. It's just not something that I'm super well versed in. Yeah, I haven't seen very many. I do have one on my list or two actually from other countries, um, but I don't have a good grasp on kind of where the world was at at this time. And so I think it'll be interesting the different perspectives from the movies that we chose mm-hmm. to kind of see how maybe America uh, at during the fifties was different from say Europe, for example, which Mm. most of the war, like at least against the Germans was fought in Europe and there was a lot of destruction and all that. So you have to take that into account when you consider the art that was produced, uh, just a few years after that ended. Um, it definitely took them a while to rebuild. Um, I'm sure some of the economies are still, uh, a little bit affected Mm long-term by what happened. What was it? Almost 70 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, Wow. It's crazy. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just definitely something that has to be thought about. I don't know a ton about like history and war and geography yeah, and stuff, but I do, I do enjoy trying to think about the historical context of movies when I see them. 
So I'm excited for that part of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Some of these on my list, actually, I maybe didn't like when I first saw them, but once I like dug into them more and Criterion, of course, we always talk about them, but their supplements, like Mm -hmm. talking about historical context and why it's important, really grew my love for some of these films. And so that's definitely something that we'll talk about. And yeah. Cool. Sweet. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say on that note, except maybe we could just explain our choice of this okay. list. What this let's kind of break down the criteria for the the list. So this is five <laughs> from the fifties. Um, it's a catchy title, but also it allows us to highlight several films that we both enjoy from this decade. Mm-hmm. And it's not a ranked list. It's just five that we chose that we like, and they're not in any particular order. They are just ones that we really love. And uh, yeah, what else do you have to say about that? Yeah, like I said, I tried to include some from different countries. So, I mean, I have two American movies, and then I have three foreign films, two from France and one from Japan. So, you know, a a little bit of, what do you call it, like... Diversity? Diversity, yeah, 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 that's what I was looking for. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit of diversity there. So that's something I tried to keep in mind as I was choosing from my like semi-big list of ones that I have seen from the 50s. I tried to handpick some that were different or had something unique contextually or even like my favorites. Some of these movies are my favorites and I own almost all of them, which I was kind of surprised <laughs> I realized that I have most of them. So Yeah, this will be cool. And I think we're going to do this kind of list every month. Where, like, next month we'll talk about six from the 60s. Yeah. And we'll each pick six movies that we love from that decade. And we'll progress on until there. And then maybe we could do a top ten of the 2000s. Yeah. Something like that. And see see what happens from there. But, yeah, uh, let us know. Give us some feedback. You know, on Twitter. We're <laughs> Bro Have You Seen yeah. uh, podcast. And, uh, yeah, let us know what some of your favorite 50s movies are. Or if you like some of the movies that we mentioned or just anything if you have any ideas for good movies or good things to talk about on the show that you'd like to hear let us know Mm -hmm. and with that all out of the way i guess we can move forward yeah um what is your first okay (laughs) so the first one that i picked uh it's one of this director's most uh lesser known and underrated films it's one that you know it's critically it's actually like by this point pretty critically acclaimed and it's loved by fans of this director and fans of this specific genre and it's probably one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite of its genre it's a classic heist movie featuring mostly non-name character actors that make it really feel like a bunch of thugs pulling off a good heist (laughs) um and this is 1956 the killing directed by stanley kubrick so um just before I get into some of the things I want to talk about, what have you, you know, heard about this movie? I know you've seen a lot more Kubrick movies than me, so I'm still kind of diving through his stuff. But, mm. you know, I don't know. Is there anything that you've heard about this movie or, you know, Kubrick in general? Yeah, so Kubrick is someone that I really love. He's probably my top five or ten filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen, I think, all of his modern films. I think you can make a... Most people would make a pretty clear distinction around 2001, A Space Odyssey, um, where the films after 2001, A Space Odyssey, were different than the films before that movie. Uh, I've even heard it said that Kubrick didn't make a great film after 2001. So, I mean, that's pretty harsh uh, considering some of the iconic movies that he made from A Clockwork Orange to The Shining to Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut. 
And so uh, I haven't seen very many of his earlier movies. In fact, I don't think I've seen any before 2001, but I think I've seen everything since then. So I definitely have a different perspective on him as a director and what his work ended up being uh, near the end of his life. And yeah, I hadn't really heard about this uh, before like you watched it and you were telling me about it. I, I do love the director, but I don't really know anything about this besides the fact that it's a heist movie. So Nice. Well, there you go. See, it's underrated of his films. It is. I also wanted to watch uh, Paths of Glory because it's a 50s one. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't get around to that. There's too many 50s <laughs> movies. I can't watch them all. So Yeah, and with the, the recent death of Kirk Douglas, yeah, that's that something was also... that's been on my short list mm-hmm. lately. So I want to yeah. see that. Yeah, so like I was saying, it's pretty critically acclaimed. Roger Ebert gave it four out of four, and Rotten Tomatoes has it at 98%, so it's a pretty pretty good movie um, in that respect. And I kind of read over Ebert's review, because it's been a little bit since I've seen this, and it reminded me of a lot of the reasons why I really love this movie. I don't want to give away too much, because it's a really good heist movie, and has some really good twists, multiple of them, I would say. It's the, one of the most unique things about it is its structure. It's non-parallel in, in its narrative. So it kind of jumps back and forth between different times of different people getting in place and getting things ready. And that was something that was pretty inventive for the time. You know, in the 50s, there wasn't very many of those. And so Kubrick, this was considered like his first mature movie project, like his first like directed movie. <laughs> right. And so and it shows a lot of his class, though. And like you were saying later on, I mean in in the this time period before 2001 you know you get paths of glory and dr strangelove and mm-hmm. stuff like that but um yeah so was this his second movie i think killer's I think, kiss was before this that's true so killer's kiss is the original version of the killing oh is it it's uh similar but i think it's it has a lot of differences it's on the criterion blu-ray and i've been meaning to watch it as well oh sweet but um it's adapted from a book, uh, like a short story novel type deal. So it's not like an original screenplay, but he got the rights to the book. He really wanted to make the film, and I think he did a pretty good job according to the supplements of you know, his adaptation. And he, I think he worked with the writer of the novel to like write the script and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Nice. Um, yeah, so Roger Ebert reminded me of some stuff I liked about it. So... Uh, I'll kind of borrow a few of his things that he talked about. So apparently Kubrick was like a big chess addict. And so Ebert draws parallels between chess and then like themes in this movie. So like just kind of the jumping back and forth. And that's kind of similar to how like the narrative is working and also like the person's mind, the viewer's mind watching it kind of play out. There's no way of knowing like what's going to happen. You kind of just have to let it take you. And he talked about how you felt like you were in safe hands with this movie kind of. Kubrick's just guiding you through this pretty complex, labyrinth-like um, narrative, which is really crazy. And it's it's crazy because at any moment, any of these one pieces could go wrong. Everything has to happen exactly when it was scheduled and how it was planned to go for it to all work out. And mm-hmm. somehow it does wow. most mostly, but like I said, there's some twists, so you get some, some good stuff in there. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a much more modern heist movie Logan Lucky yeah. uh, where he has Channing Tatum's character has that list of all the mm-hmm. different things and he, he writes you know stuff happens <laughs> and then he writes it again remember stuff happens so like yeah. they kind of take into account the fact that hey like sometimes things don't work according to plan 
So I'm curious to see this and see how, you know, mechanical and yeah. synchronized everything is. Yeah, it's way cool once things get going. But yeah, it features a lot of stuff that's become staples and maybe even tropes of the heist genre from the masks that they wear to pulling a gun out of a flower box that is seen many times in more modern movies. I think Terminator does something like that. Maybe huh. I think it's T2. He pulls like a gun out of a flower box. So, I mean, this thing is, it's a classic. It's underrated and it's become one of my favorite movies. I'm scared to watch more of Kubrick's stuff because I don't know how I'd rank it compared <laughs> to this because yeah. I love this film so much. And so I'm kind of worried about that, but... Nice. Yeah, I definitely recommend it to anyone. I think it's a very accessible movie. I think anybody could watch it and enjoy it. I mean, it's it's in black and white, but it is in English. It's an English movie and, uh, you know, 50s America. It's, it's pretty great. It doesn't really have anything historical-wise, you know. I guess you could say it's like a good escape from what's going on, but, hmm. I mean, the 50s was booming in America, so. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, like, good movie. It's good stuff. Yeah, and not every film has to be yeah. necessarily commenting on mm-hmm. the state of society but sometimes you just need something that's entertaining exactly but yeah cool and with that's that i think killing. uh we can move on to my first pick it's similar i guess in the crime genre yeah. um and so i remember the first time i saw this movie i happen to remember where i was when i saw just about every movie um, but this one was special um i saw this in a high school government class Nice. And was almost immediately hooked and remained thoroughly engaged for its entire 96-minute runtime. We had to watch it in two separate class periods, uh, mm. one day after the next. Man, that would suck. So, yeah, I had to wait a whole day to figure oh, out right. what happens at the end. But never before had I seen a film like it. It took place in one room, a jury room to be exact, and centered around a dozen mad guys <laughs> with another human being's life in their hands. While well, Eleven just want to get the job over with... One remains persistent and at times stubborn that this case is not to be overlooked. He sees holes in the prosecutor's argument and takes his time trying to convince the others that there is, in fact, a reasonable doubt as to the defendant's guilt. One of the most famous movies of all time and starring Henry Fonda as the calm and patient juror who sees through the cloud of smoke. My next pick is 12 Angry Men. Nice. My first pick, I should say. (laughs) Uh, I've seen this almost a dozen times. Uh, since that experience in my government class, and it never ceases to be gripping and tense with each viewing. Uh, Bro, have you seen 12 Angry Men, and what do you think about it? Yeah, so you showed me this movie, and this was early on in my filmic experience, you know, Mm -hmm. exploring movies, and that was kind of, you know, from you, you know, you're kind of like, all right, dude, you got to watch 12 Angry Men, like, it's a good one, and I was like, oh, man, it's, like, old, you know, it's from the (laughs) 50s, and it's in black and white, and it's in one room, but yeah. like you said, it's so gripping from the beginning and we discussed it afterwards and I was blown away. Like it moved so fast and was consistently entertaining and interesting. And yeah, I mean, it's such a classic, like, what can you say about it? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's so good. Yeah. I remember when I watched it, I remember thinking, you know, I think I probably like movies that most people find boring. <laughs> There's literally nothing. There's no like action in this movie there's nothing that really happens it's just dialogue it's just people talking mm-hmm. the whole time and it's really well made like from a filmmaking formal standpoint in that the blocking and the camera movements and the editing just help you to not feel bored of this yeah. situation that you're in but it also doesn't neglect to make you feel cramped and 
I mean, the sweat beating on the characters' mm-hmm. foreheads and they're opening the, the windows. The smoke-filled room. They're probably all smoking cigarettes, I think I remember. Probably. I'm sure it's like smoke-filled, yeah. Yeah, but it, you definitely can feel the heat. And yeah, it's in black and white and it's a movie, so you, obviously there's a difference. But it's something that really puts you in that room with these characters, but it doesn't make you feel tired of being there. It's mm. just so gripping from mm-hmm. beginning to end and... Yeah, I've I've loved it ever since I saw it that first time. Yeah, I love Twelve Angry Men. I actually read the uh, the like play. Oh yeah. Script. I forgot I read that until just now, and I mean it's like it was kind of boring because it was just like juror one says this, juror five, <laughs> and it's kind of hard to keep track. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely good in a movie format, but it'd be cool to see it acted out on a stage. But I think they did a pretty good job of adapting it to the film. To film, I think it's like very adaptable and yeah. very filmable. Yeah, and I think the the main kind of antagonist, so to speak, of the movie, uh, Lee J. Cobb, he played that same character in the play. Oh, nice. Adaptation of it. Nice. So um, it was very successful uh, on, the, on the stage, and it worked really well as a film, too, which very few things can boast. Yeah. Cool. What's your next So pick? my next one is another American classic. This is... This director had a, a run of just fantastic movies we were talking about. I was surprised um, I was surprised when I was looking into him that he directed all those movies. I was like, wow, what a guy. Like, geez. Yeah. Um, so this is from the United States or United Kingdom. It's kind of from both, I guess. It's, uh, the director is British, but this is uh, one of the most highly praised and well-known war films. And it's, it's very interesting that they made this in the 50s, I think, just after World War II. But I think it was kind of... I mean, it shows positive side of war. It's not like an anti-war film, which I guess we also see in the 50s. But it, it's, it shows like, man, these guys are super heroic, and you know what, what we were doing was really good, and all that type of stuff. But also the trials that we went through in the war. So this is uh, The Bridge on the River Kwai, 1957, directed by David Lean. Nice. So yeah, he also did Lawrence of Arabia, Doctor Zhivago. Um, there was he did was it Great Expectations or was it Wuthering Heights? He did Great Expectations. Great Expectations. Uh-huh. A couple other like adaptation movies and some other ones. But I was surprised Lawrence of Arabia and this. Those are like the two most like famous like war movies like ever. Like very long, but really I I remember watching Bridge on River Kwai um, pretty distinctly. I would say. But it was earlier on in my movie going as well, kind of around the same time as Tobing Your Men when we were both like watching stuff together and you mm-hmm. were like showing me stuff. And um, I remember it being long then, but I'm sure now compared to other things I've seen, I think I'd have the stamina to watch it again. Yeah, I don't remember it being that long. Maybe it has a longer runtime, but I do think that the story, you know, it really makes it interesting mm-hmm. and entertaining the whole way through. I think I remember it having an intermission. I think it's around 160 minutes. So okay. it's a little under three hours, but. Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that at all. I would have said probably right around two hours. But. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's one that I've wanted to revisit since, I mean, I last saw it because, you know, like I said, it's uh, one I watched earlier on, so my knowledge of it and knowledge of film in general has grown since then. But the song totally gets stuck in your head, and I always think of it every once in a while, the little whistle tune that they uh, whistle as they're marching. And 
it's always referenced. I remember I was watching Parks and Rec and Ron Swanson. It's like his favorite movie. He like sits down, eats steak and watches the movie. Wow. Like <laughs> he's always talking about it. So it's kind of funny. I remembered that. Um, yeah, there's, I don't know. I don't, don't really have a whole bunch to say about this movie. It's been so long, but. Yeah. The one know, thing, the one thing that I remember is that final line where he says madness a couple times. Oh yeah. And like, it really speaks to. I mean, obviously these characters, the Americans, are portrayed as heroic, um, as kind of war veterans or whatever, and they're they're sticking it through the tough, uh, you know, camp that they're living in under mm-hmm. the rule of the Japanese. But uh, that final, I mean, the climax of the movie and that final line, it just kind of speaks to the craziness of war, the chaos of war, and how... Anything can happen at any time, and it just, is it, does it have a meaning? Is it meaningless? That's kind of the question that's yeah. playing with a little bit there. I definitely want to dig into the themes more on a rewatch of this film, but I do remember that. And Alec Guinness, of course. I mean, yeah. he's like one of the most legendary British actors of all time, so got to shout him out. Totally. Yeah, it's a great war movie. It's I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but it's... Definitely one of the best. Again, like most highly, highly regarded. So it's definitely one that you should check out. Yep. I'd recommend. Totally. All right. My next pick. Um, we recently watched this actually like just a couple days ago. Yeah, I think it was Monday. So our mom and I really like this movie. And we were showing you and our younger sister, who's yep. about nine, this movie for the first time. Um, <laughs> and how much more praise can I give this timeless classic? Starring and co-directed by Gene Kelly, uh, with his co-stars Debbie Reynolds as the lovable young actress who at first is a nobody in Hollywood and by the end becomes, we assume, a big star. And Donald O'Connor, the best friend and comic relief whose energy and charisma captivate me almost as much as Kelly's or Reynolds. Duh, this film is singing in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) And as a young lad who thought old movies and old musicals were boring was taken completely by surprise with how heartwarming, funny, and truly entertaining this movie really is. Um, what do you? What did you think about Singing in the Rain as you just barely watched yeah. it for the first time? Yeah, so we watched it on Monday. So I watched An American in Paris in prep for our La La Land episode. Mm-hmm. So like, La La Land is one of my favorite movies, and so I've always wanted to go back, check out all its uh, roots in classic Hollywood movies such as Singing in the Rain. And it was a, Singing in the Rain is a 50s movie, you know, that's why it's on the list here. So that's why I wanted to watch it. Yep. Um, I think it might be an honorable mention of mine. I'm not sure. I don't think so. But I, I really liked it. I, I like Gene Kelly a lot. He's extremely talented. And uh, all the, you know, like you said, charisma of all the actors was... And it was so funny, too. Um, yeah, very, very funny. And uh, features excellent sets and costuming and music numbers. And it's just over the top. Super great, you know, great escapist movie, you know, when it's good now still to watch stuff like this, just to be entertained, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I was watching this recently, I had in my mind Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which similarly depicts the end of an era um, and the struggles mm. that the stars of that era have to go through in that transition. This one, of course, it features... Um, I want to say Norma Desmond, but that's yeah. that similarly too, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well. But the main star, Lena Lamont, she is a silent film star. Her and Gene Kelly's character, 
Don Lockwood, they both are just legends at the time. But as the talkie picture comes to the forefront of American cinema, um, Lena is ill-prepared and she really struggles to adapt. Um, and it's just kind of, it reflects on the era of silent films. I think it looks back with fondness, but it looks forward to the new era of what cinema can do, which I think similarly, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does nice. as well. So I couldn't help but compare the two movies. And of course it's a musical, so I couldn't help but compare this to La La Land as well. Mm -hmm. um, with the colors and the dance numbers and all of the dreamlike sequences that they do yeah. performing on stage, um, it, uh, it all feels very happy and that's what i really like about this movie it just kind of brings you joy yeah i couldn't help but have a big smile on my face the whole time and <laughs> just like it's just so good yeah and it's very funny too i mean yeah that's that's one of the big things mm -hmm. that i remember is just laughing so much at it and i was surprised that a movie this old could be mm -hmm. so good uh, similar with 12 angry men i think yeah and like our mom quotes this all the time and so i've just been mean to watch it just so i can understand that at least like baseline i just i need to i was like what's that from she's like singing the rain what's that from singing the rain it's like okay now i finally can be in on the quoting so yep awesome go ahead okay so my next pick is i'd say a little bit different quite a bit different um so this one comes from japan um it's probably one of my favorite movies uh, i haven't seen a lot of other films by this director i very much want to but uh couldn't get around to watching all of them, and I couldn't get around to rewatching this, which I wanted to. But I did catch up on David Bordwell on Good Morning. It's a supplement on Criterion. And it's that's one of the things that really helped shape my love for this movie is that video. Just him explaining, you know, the themes that are going on and the the context of post war Japan was really helping me to really understand and appreciate the movie more. And uh this uh, is 1959. This is Good Morning by Yasujiro Ozu. Sweet. So this is pretty late in Ozu's filmography and like one of his last movies he made in his life, really. Uh, he made a lot of silent films earlier in like 30s, 40s, early 50s. And so this is late 50s. Um, kind of interesting, but up to that point, he'd kind of been known as the director of family movies or house dramas. And another one from the 50s was Tokyo Story that I didn't get around to. Mm. But he uses easy-to-follow stories, but he also undercurrents them with lots of experimentation directorially. He uses uh, in this technicolor and just the framing of the houses, the tight living environment that they're in, um, and the colors and the landscapes and everything are just so beautiful. And he uses it so well. I think he used, like... Um, really long shots, so everything's in focus. Or not long shots, like, uh, I can't think of the camera term. But everything's in focus, and, yeah, like I said, the framing, because this, this all takes place in, like, this little community of homes. I think it's, like, set up after World War II for, like, the families. They live in, like, these little homes set up by reconstruction. So, um, like, the word good morning in... Or, sorry, let me step, take a step back. Um... So it has some fascinating and still really relevant commentary on communication, which I, w I was like, that was the part I was most interested in and the one I picked up on the most as I watched it. And so like the, good, the word good morning in Japanese is just like a simple greeting, 
but it takes on like more significance throughout the movie and uh, it was kind of cool i was like why is it called good morning and then like by the end of the movie you know you kind of more understand why it's called good morning Mm -hmm. but the theme of communication is the fact that people use too much meaningless filler dialogue such as good morning good evening how's the weather instead of like communicating like the true things they should be talking about like their feelings and their love for each other and like things like things like that Hmm. and there's an example of that there's a two characters that have obvious feelings for each other, but they never express them. And there's one scene at the end, uh, well, closer to the end of the movie, where they're like, how's the weather? Oh, yeah, how's this? And it's like, yo, just freaking, like, communicate and just talk to each other. Mm. And that's, like, a big theme through the movie. And also, like, the spreading of rumors between the tightly packed houses when, like, the housewives, like, see something in the other. Then they totally misunderstand it and spread these rumors throughout the little community. And then this, the whole plot really revolves around these two young boys who go on a, a silent strike against their parents to get them to buy a TV. And so that also, the way they use like the silence to get what they want, a lack of communication. So there's lots of interesting things. It also satirizes consumerism in post-war Japan, the way they want to buy the TV and how everyone wants to buy dishwashers and different appliances in their little homes, things like that. Um, it's pretty interesting. So yeah, I know you haven't seen this, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if you have anything. Yeah, to I don't add really have any thoughts. Yeah. I want to see some Ozu films, but yeah, haven't got around to it quite yet. I definitely recommend Good Morning. Um, I this is like one of the only ones I don't own, but I'm definitely gonna pick up the Criterion Blu-ray soon because it's very good. Nice. So, that's Good Morning. Kind of a long talk there, but. <laughs> All right. So what's your next pick? Okay. All right. I spent a lot of time thinking about this one, actually. Um, so most of the greatest directors of all time can be identified by one name. Bergman, Fellini, Truffaut, Scorsese, Tarantino. And this filmmaker not only meets that qualification, he exceeds it. Not only is he recognizable by his last name, he is recognizable by his silhouette, an image that most people can see and instantly recall him and his most famous works. He is almost alone in that category, This is Hitchcock, and while I could easily choose one of the many great films from Hitchcock in this decade, I decided to pick Rear Window. Nice. Released at the height of his career, Rear Window instantly became a classic and, along with Psycho, Vertigo, and North by Northwest, is on most people's minds when the name Hitchcock is mentioned or his timeless silhouette appears. It is a total slow burn, and that patience pays off in spades at the climax, which I won't spoil here, but which had me gripping the arms of the couch I was sitting on when I saw hmm. this the first time. This is my favorite film by Sir Alfred Hitchcock and really made me love his films that much more. Um, have you seen this? What do you think about it? Yeah, so I've seen this a while ago. Uh, I feel like I've said that a lot this episode, but kind of earlier on. I wanted to watch, I almost did yesterday, but I watched North by Northwest yesterday. Hmm. That didn't make it on my list, but I've kind of been exploring Hitchcock's this this time of Hitchcock, but I've also wanted to go back and watch his earlier stuff. But I, when I first watched this, I really liked it. Um, probably didn't appreciate it as much as I could now, and like as you did. But I, I do remember it being very tense, and I, I wanted to know what happened. You know, it's very, yeah. uh, very tense, like all of his movies, very suspenseful. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's about all I have for that. Nice for cool. that one. Yeah, I feel like it sets up um, the mystery really well. You get jimmy stewart Mm -hmm. in the lead role who is basically crippled he's got a broken leg and he's stuck to a wheelchair and basically all his day consists of looking out the 
rear window Whoa, through what? some binoculars mm-hmm. or his camera lens. He's a photographer. And um, this obsession that he grows more and more into really puts a strain on his relationship with Grace Kelly. Uh, I forget her name in the film, but um, just had to kind of shout her out as well. She's just totally lovely and a mm-hmm. complete gem. I have another one of her films, um, To Catch a Thief, with nice. Cary Grant on my Amazon Prime list that I kind of want to get to one mm-hmm. of these days. Um, but yeah, uh, I really love it. And like I said, very suspenseful. And if you can be patient through the first like hour or so, it gets really, really, really good. So just had to recommend that from the 50s. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Hitchcock was on a roll right there with Vertigo and that and The Birds was mid 60s, but then uh, Psycho early 60s. So yeah, yeah. North by Northwest was pretty dang good. But it's it just like at the beginning, it was kind of the opposite maybe of uh, of Rear Window. The beginning was super interesting and I was just like, wow, this is a great setup. And then it kind of teetered down from there and kind of lost my interest. But mm. Yeah, I really like up. early Hitchcock. I love mm-hmm. The Lady Vanishes. That's yeah, one of my favorites by him. Uh, and You've seen 39 Steps, right? Did I have, yeah. yeah. And nice. I've seen the first The Man Who Knew Too Much, the original from like, mm-hmm. the 30s. And then he remade it in the 50s with Cary Grant. I haven't gotten mm. around to see that. But nice. yeah, um, I like his early work too. They're just kind of short, fun, humorous little whodunits. Yeah. And I really enjoy them. So Hitchcock is great. If you haven't seen his films or if you've only seen his most famous works, then I would definitely recommend to go back and check out his yeah. earlier stuff. Totally. I've been meaning to do that for sure. Okay, so we got another... My next pick is kind of another... Uh suspense movie i would say it's pretty dang suspenseful this this is a film that i really should know a lot more about because it's probably one of my favorites it's another heist movie similar to the killing nice but it's from france and it's one that i can recommend to almost everybody although no one's really taken me up on that offer yet i feel like i've recommended it to almost everyone i know that i talk to about movies I'm like, oh, you got to see your Fifi, man. I bought it on Blu-ray, and now you can watch it. And like, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites for sure. I stumbled upon it on the Criterion channel. They had an Art of the Heist collection, which I tried to watch all of those, but I, I watched quite a few of those, but uh, didn't finish them all. Uh, we both love heist movies. We've talked about The Killing, but this is one of my favorites. You've seen this, and this is 1955 Rafifi by Jules Dessin. So, Sweet. Yeah, bro. I, mean, I guess I already said that you've seen it, but... What do you I, think of it? I have seen it. I think I watched it like a day or two before you did. Yeah. Just right around that time. Yeah. Uh, and I totally loved it. And then you saw it and we were like, bro, yeah, yeah this movie's yeah, awesome. so great. Uh, it kind of set the stage for heist movies. I mean, I guess similarly to The Killing, I don't know exactly, but it they spend half the movie planning the heist and testing out the different tools and ways that they can pull this off. And then there's the heist, and then there's the aftermath of them kind exactly. of trying to get away with it. And, I mean, everybody who's seen this movie or knows anything about it knows that scene of the heist is completely silent. Yeah. Except for the little tapping of their hammers and the little yeah, tools that they use. drills and their tools. And because the alarm system of the jewelry store that they're heisting is so sensitive every little sound Mm. could potentially set them off and reveal um, what they're doing. And so it's just such a tense sequence. 
that you're just holding your breath because you don't want to make a sound as an audience member and, you know, get them caught. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's super good. So good yeah. recommend. Yeah. It's a, it's a simple one, simple plot. It's just, you know, an ex con gets released from prison and his friend wants him to do one last small job, but it becomes, you know, a full scale, bigger heist. And that's like, cool. that's such a cookie cutter tropey plot at this yeah. point. Almost. Ocean's like, 11. Yeah. It's literally straight. like the same thing. Yeah. So this really did, like you said, set the stage for heist movies, and um, and again, like you said, with the the it's it's cut into three very distinct parts, and that's like one of the things I loved most about it is you know you get the character set up and the testing and stuff, and mm-hmm. then the heist, which is silent, which is like a third of the movie was all silent and so so tense and crazy, mm-hmm. and then the aftermath, which was awesome as well to yeah. watch unfold. I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't <laughs> say anything else about that. Yeah. But it's so ri- so riveting and super duper fun. Like I said, uh, I can recommend this one to anybody. And it's one of those really early French New Wave movies. I mean, mid-50s, this was really kind of the beginning. The later 50s is when it started getting going, and then the 60s was big. So, But it, it has a lot of those uh, filmmaking techniques that were more cutting edge, more innovative, and different from what everyone else was doing. And it still stands the test of time now, uh, 70 years or so later as one of the most thrilling movies that I've seen. So sweet. Highly recommend. Cool. I guess we can move right along to my fourth pick. This is, uh, you know, one of the most influential and iconic directors of all time hailed from Europe as well, and was known for his prolific work ethic. Over the course of his 62 year career, he directed 70 features in short films, often doubling, tripling, or even quadrupling projects in a single year. I am nowhere near close to having seen all of his films, yet he is one of my favorite foreign directors. I would have to say that my favorite film of his, however much it confounds me, came out in the 60s, so maybe I'll get to that next month. Yeah. Um, this director is, of course, Ingmar Bergman, and the film I've chosen is The Seventh Seal. All right. This, along with Wild Strawberries, another major hit that also came out in 1957, remains one of his most unforgettable films and one I haven't been able to get out of my head since I watched it. Uh, you and I actually watched this one together. So, no, we didn't. Uh, Wait, did we? No, we did. I don't think so. No, we didn't. We watched Wild watched... Strawberries together. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you I did... watched it, and I was almost going to watch it with you, but I didn't. But I watched right. it a little bit later. Yep. I watched it before you, and I recommended it, and then you saw it. But mm-hmm. it's super good. What do you think about it? Yeah, I I liked it. I mean, you were really a lot higher on it than I was. I, I don't know. I didn't really like it when I saw it initially. Maybe I should revisit it, like all these movies and every movie ever made but (laughs) um, I thought it was kind of maybe a little bit overrated but uh, has some has some good themes and some good moments going through I'll let you talk about that more (laughs) yeah uh, just trying to recollect um, one of the things that really surprised me was the humor of it there's some scenes between um, a couple of characters that I can't quite remember their names because they're Swedish. Yeah. Uh, but they, it's like a friar and another guy, and they're just like talking about women and they're like joking around about like how horrible women are and stuff. And it's just like super funny the different insults that they come yeah. up with. Um, and then, of course, you get the traveling troupe of actors and their whole plot line that's going on at the same time of, of course, the major thread of the movie with the knight who recently coming back from a war is kind of 
Um, he's not really looking forward to continuing, I think. He has a lot of uh, doubt, and he's scared of death. And death actually is personified in the movie in that classic, famous image of the white face and the black cloak. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays chess with our main character, the knight, played by Max von Sydow, who actually recently died. Mm-hmm. Um, rest in peace, Max. Yeah. But uh, it's super good. It has a lot of themes that I would love to explore more deeply on more rewatches. But from what I've seen of it so far, uh, it's one of my favorite Bergman movies. And it's definitely one that I think is worthy of the praise, unlike some cretin across the table from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I should probably revisit it soon. But I do I do think the personification of death is really interesting and that's of course like the main thing it has going for it. Because it's super influential, like they do that in uh Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, you know? Yeah. Like, things like that you'd never think, but they definitely have their roots in, in this movie. And um and as someone pointed out, I think I read on, on Reddit, that it's interesting how death was personified with a face. Because before this, like, it would usually have, like, a black cloak over its face. Or, like, it was more, like, hu- almost humanizing death in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an interesting portrayal. And that whole interaction is pretty interesting. Yeah. So, like, it's definitely one that you got to check out. But... For sure. It's a classic. Yeah. And uh, one of the staples of that European mm-hmm. sort of... Uh... Not necessarily new wave, because that was primarily French, but, you know, Sweden, especially Bergman, had big influence on a lot of the American movies that came out through the 60s and 70s, which we've talked about before. I won't really get into again, but Mm -hmm. it's super good, and I recommend it. Sweet. Last one for you. Yeah, so my last pick is another European film. It's one of the one, another one that's just like super important. I think everyone should watch it. Um, it's probably one of the most important films ever made. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it probably it definitely is. Um, I actually listened to the like main theme song from this movie today, and it really just brought me back to when I watched this. Like I distinctly remember sitting down here in the theater watching it. Um, it's just super interesting film to watch. Uh, it's super important, like I said. I mean, it's The 400 Blows, 1959. This is directed by Francois Truffaut. It's really one of the beginning films of the French New Wave, which is one of the most important eras in movie history. I mean, <laughs> if you don't know about it, do some do some reading, read a book. But no, it's really good. Um, like, what is there to say about it? Um, it's, it's the first of a series of Antoine Dornel movies, and they're kind of autobiographical of the director, which is interesting as well. And, uh, yeah, the story is of a young rebel boy that he lies, steals, smokes cigars, gets into all kinds of mischief, and uh, has a really rough time. But you end up kind of feeling bad for him because he has a lack of, you know, parents that really care about him and are helping him parenting him like they should be maybe and maybe it's kind of relatable he gets um in trouble for things he doesn't even do like in school he kind of becomes a scapegoat in Mm -hmm. different situations but it's really interesting just seeing his kind of descent into you know more crime and uh, then he goes to a like boarding school like a behavioral school and just super interesting uh like almost character study of this of this boy um yeah, what do you think about uh, uh, 400 Blows? Whew. Man, you know, 
I, at first thought, I it always the humor comes up first to me. Uh, this little boy, he's I don't know, ten or eleven mm-hmm. in the movie, and he's so charismatic in a way. He's so lovable. He's so likable, and uh, you just kind of want to follow him around and see what he does. Yeah. But as I was sitting here thinking about the movie. I remembered in the middle how dark it gets and how alone he is. And man, it just like kind of breaks my heart about the story of this kid. Um, Like you said, his parents are pretty neglectful. He kind of ends up running away and Mm kind of living on his own out on the streets. He takes up residence in a friend's spare room. Yeah. And then he lives in like a factory. Yeah. 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 And just he's just struggling to live day by day. He's trying to find kind of meaning in his life and find his place in the world. Um, seems like everybody around him just kind of want to put, wants to push him to the side and makes you really feel bad for him, you know? And uh, this movie, of course, that French new wave, it's, it's famous for just telling kind of a slice of life. It doesn't really have a beginning, middle and end as typical plots would. And that semi-autobiographical nature of it is definitely a keystone of that era and that low budget feel as well Mm -hmm. you know it's obviously it's it's in black and white it's very simple there's pretty little production to it it's just kind of people doing their thing and yeah just like you said super influential super important but it's also really entertaining and quite eye-opening yeah exactly and referenced many times (laughs) I mean, that's why it's important, and people still... Yeah, I, I think like, all these movies, it's crazy. You can still watch them, like we've said, like 70 years later, and they they still hold up extremely well. Mm-hmm. And I'd say this one as well, uh, for sure. Still very entertaining and interesting to watch. Cool. All right. Let's think about... It's our list, man. It's our five. My last one. Oh, you have one more. Yeah. I do. I forgot, because we just don't have it on here. Yeah, so... um. I would say this one's easily the least well-known of any on this <laughs> list of mine, yet I felt it had to be mentioned. Uh, this director was part of the French New Wave, however, they aren't among the first that come to mind when the era is brought up. While Truffaut, Godard, Romare might be more iconic in the public eye, this director is well-known and well-loved among cinephile circles. Her name is Agnes Varda, and her film is La Pointe Court. In English, the title could be translated as The Short Point, which is a small part of a French town that is featured in the film. It centers around a couple whose marriage is struggling. This isn't technically part of the new wave of film. Those came several years after this, but it features many of the conventions that those films are famous for. The plot is virtually non-existent, but the mood penetrates every scene. It is completely character-driven, and while I don't have much to say, I did really enjoy it, and I felt like it, it needed to be mentioned. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen this. I sadly haven't seen any Agnes Varda movies, but they're definitely, uh, like you said, she's definitely underlooked as a French New Wave director. I've heard so many things about her films, though, as I've, you know, come to learn more about that that time. Mm-hmm. So I've been meaning to watch some of those. But And she also recently passed. I mean, it was last year, but yeah, pretty, uh, pretty sad stuff. Yeah. She uh, was great. She is great. And... Unfortunately, you know, I'm ashamed to say this is the only feature film of hers that I've seen, but I've really been meaning to dig more into her work. 
I, I started with this one because it was her, her first and mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of move chronologically mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. to what you're doing with Gadar, but yeah, uh, it's crazy, especially now looking back with some of the female directors that we've gotten with Greta Gerwig mm-hmm. and Patty Jenkins and uh, Ava DuVernay and all these like um, kind of praised female directors. Don't Sophia Coppola. Sophia Coppola, <laughs> one of my faves. Uh, but I mean, this lady was directing films back in the 50s. Yeah. When, you know, the role of women, especially in America, probably a little bit less so in France, uh, they were kind of on the back burner of society. And uh, it's really interesting that, you know, she was able to make films and that she that she kind of was able to gain that recognition and the credit to her name that that she deserves as a a great filmmaker and storyteller. Um, I think, you know, part of that was that she was kind of buds with Truffaut and Gadar and she yeah. hung out with some of those guys who uh, got the ball rolling on a lot of these films. I mean, a lot of people probably hadn't even seen La Pointe Court until after she came out with, you know, Cleo from five to seven, yeah. one sings, the other doesn't, you know, some of her mm, more yeah, famous. Yeah, later on, Vagabond, I've heard, is Vagabond. really, really good. Yeah, and she's done some classics, but uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of her work. And mm-hmm. this one, it's very simple, but it's very sweet. Nice. And uh, it reaches some dark places, but in the end, I think it kind of is hopeful and um, sort of positive. Awesome. Well, cool. now that is finally our five. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> kind of jumped a little early earlier, but <laughs> Phew. yeah, well, it's the five. We did it. Yeah, we we each have a couple honorable mentions. I mean, there's a lot of movies from the fifties, and uh, we can't watch them all, of course. But I tried to watch as many as I could before we recorded. Uh, but I do have some other ones that I really love as well. Didn't quite make it. And I know you do as well. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, uh, one of my first ones was 12 Angry Men. We talked about that one. So I just wanted to mention, you know, I really enjoyed that one as well. Um, another one is Mon Oncle from uh, director Jacques Tati. It's another French movie. Uh, it's just like one of the weirdest, most unique feelings of a movie. And Monster Hula's Holiday as well, more so. But just, I picked my uncle because he uses color and it's a lot more interesting. And But you definitely have to see the other one first. Anyways, uh, just those movies are really weird. I'm excited to watch the rest of his movies, uh, Playtime, Traffic, stuff like that. So Nice. Um, my next one's Diabolique, another French movie. Um, it's one of the best horror movies I've seen. Well, maybe not horror, but thriller um, type mystery movies. It's got a fantastic, fantastic twist. And at the end... It says, you know, don't tell anyone about the twist. And that, Hitchcock kind of borrows from this type of thing. Or at least, or I guess he's around the same time, so. Yeah, for Psycho. Uh, yeah. I don't know what year that came out. I think it's um, 50, 55, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so five years after that, you know. Yeah, so it's kind of that same idea, you know. It's got such a great twist, such a great ending that, you know, you don't want to spoil anything. And you really got to watch it because it really pays off. And it might be a little bit of a slow burn. But it's, yeah, I think it was really interesting. It captivated me the whole way through and really pays off. Cool. Um, next one is The Blob, 1958. Uh, I just wanted to put this on here because it's just such a classic American time capsule from the 50s, from the cars to the clothes and the way they talk and all that stuff. It's just such a 50s movie. Like It just feels like you're there when you're watching it. It's pretty cheesy, pretty lame. I didn't like it too much, but I wanted to put it on there because it's a really, really good 50s movie just for the aspect of being from the 50s. And my last one is Godzilla. So this one's from Japan as well, and it has a lot of commentary on 
nuclear uh, weapons and all that type of stuff. It's pretty interesting, all those themes running along through it. Uh, I thought the special effects are really cool in this. I mean, maybe you could look at it now and say, oh, I could make that, that's easier. Oh, that's so lame. You can obviously tell it's a guy in a suit or it's obviously a miniature. But back then, it the role of special effects is to really make you feel like that's what's happening. And uh, I, I felt like you could really, once you kind of zoned in, I felt like I was really experiencing this stuff and it worked really well for me. And, you know, the extensive use of miniatures and models and matte paintings, they just did tons of good special effects on that movie, which are really cool. So, yeah, those are my five that I wanted to tack on here. So Nice. I will toss on a couple real quick. I've honorably mentioned some like it hot before, I think, in my comedy think so. list. Yeah. Super great, super funny. Uh, Jack Lemon, Tony Curtis, and Marilyn Monroe, of course, mm-hmm. who's a lot funnier than I ever thought she would be. Uh, she's kind of that like sex icon kind of deal, uh, known for her yeah. beauty as a model. But I didn't know she was that great of a comic actress as she really was. Uh, Vertigo, another Hitchcock nice. movie. Yeah, I love Vertigo. While I think Rear Window is my favorite Hitchcock, I think Vertigo is his best. Just got to put that out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wild Strawberries I mentioned a little bit, but that movie is really good. I do prefer Seventh Seal, but I loved Wild Strawberries. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I prefer Wild Strawberries. But... <laughs> uh, Bridge Sorry. on the River Kwai, A Face in the Crowd, Elia Kazan. Nice. Uh, super funny, but then super dark as mm-hmm. well. Rafifi as well. I, I did really like that. Uh, White Christmas, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies. We might talk about them in December. We'll see if we can get around to that. And then On the Waterfront, another Elia Kazan one with Marlon Brando. It's pretty great. And Seven Samurai, I think, is my last one to recommend. Yeah, I'd have to say that as well. Yeah, it's the only Kurosawa film that I've seen so far. But again, like Ozu, I really want to dig into more of his work. And I'm excited to, you know understand more about Japanese cinema. I really liked Seven Samurai. Yeah. I mean, it pretty much created the Western movie, mm. the spaghetti Western as well. And we're going to come up on A Bug's Life here next month, which is pretty much Seven Samurai yeah, that's in true. bug form. So get ready for that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, those are my honorable mentions. And with that, we can move right on ahead to our monthly pickup segment. Yeah. Let's see what you got. I'm sorry. You smell that? What is that? What? What's that smell? A cologne? No. Opportunity. No. Money. Okay. You smell money. Okay. Cool, man. Monthly pickups. Sweet. Yeah, we're both big physical media guys. So, the end of every month, talk about what we've picked up. Yeah. We're just highlighting a few. Yep. Um, Unfortunately, or I guess... Unfortunately for my wallet, I have bought more than the five movies that I have to highlight here. But uh, nonetheless, I'm excited to dig into the probably more um, exciting purchases of the month. So why don't you kick it off and we can maybe trade back and forth as we go. Sweet. Okay, so I'm a big fan of Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki from Japan. Uh, We talked about Toy Story and animation uh, what was that last week or? Yeah. Yeah, last week. Uh, we kind of talked about Studio Ghibli. They're one of my favorite animation studios, and I've been trying to collect all the movies directed by Miyazaki first, and then maybe I'll get the other Studio Ghibli movies. But I picked up Kiki's Delivery Service. I have not seen this yet, so it's a blind buy, but it's a 
I'm glad to add it to my shelf because all the spines look so nice together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my first one. I'm excited to watch it. Once all this streaming quality goes down, I'll have a few line buys I can watch. So Totally. All right, my first one. Uh, man, what is an episode without talking about the Criterion Collection ad <laughs> nauseum? But they're a great company, and uh, I wanted to start collecting all of the spines. Nice. I'm starting with the first hundred, and uh, I have the Seven Samurai, or Seven Samurai. I have that one. It's spine number two. It's the second one they ever released on DVD and Blu-ray. But the first spine number is kind of out of print, so you have to buy it from mm -hmm. third-party sellers on eBay or whatnot. It's called Grand Illusion by Jean Renoir. Um, he is a director from the 30s and 40s who was pretty famous. He kind of um, laid the groundwork for a lot of those French directors who came up in that new wave. Um, and, but I have only seen this like halfway through and then I think I fell asleep and I didn't <laughs> finish it. I've been excited to check it out, uh, fully, but it looks really nice. I got a high quality copy. So if by chance the person who sold this to me is listening, uh, shout out to you, man. You're <laughs> awesome for giving me such a high quality, uh, copy of Grand Illusion. Nice. All right, so the next one I picked up is a, a new movie. It was one of my favorites that I watched in 2019. One of my favorite theater experiences and one of the best whodunit movies. And this is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. It's got an ensemble cast. It's hilarious. I think we've talked about it on the show before, you know, in our 2019 list. Yeah. But uh, I picked this up on Blu-ray. Uh, we watched it with the rest of our family that hadn't seen it yet, and that was fun. Uh and our sister-in-law actually like picked up all the details as it went along, and I was like, "Yo, what the heck?" Yeah, she, she like totally called it from the beginning. Yeah, she called the and ending. That was opposite of my first viewing, where I was like, "I give up. I'm just gonna let it take me and see what happens." So, yeah, knives out. Great one. Glad I got that on Blu-ray, and it looks great. Nice. Um, so, for any of you listening who aren't familiar with the format called Steelbook. It's a metal packaging case that you put the movie in. It's kind of like your regular uh, DVD, Blu-ray kind of case, but it's it's made of metal and typically has really nice artwork. I, I managed to score me a copy of Whiplash, which is kind of the first, at least first big hit of mm -hmm. Damien Chazelle. We talked about La La Land, his second yeah. movie. Uh, Whiplash was his first one, stars Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. It's a movie about a jazz drummer who's just, you know, trying to be accepted by his brutal um, yeah. instructor. Jeez. And it's really good. The packaging's super nice. It was really cheap uh, from Best Buy, but literally every time Best Buy restocked these, they went out of sale within an hour. It's just a really popular steelbook, and I managed to pick this up on the most recent restocking. I think they're still available, so I guess everybody who wanted them uh, already got one, mm -hmm. but... Uh, yeah, it's a really good movie. I love Damien Chazelle, and uh, the artwork on this steelbook looks beautiful, so I had to pick that up. Shout that awesome. out. Yeah, I watched the short film of Whiplash that it was uh, the feature length was made from, and it was pretty intense, and so mm -hmm. I'm excited to check out the full-length movie. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it, but <laughs> I've heard it's one you kind of only have to watch once, and then, you know, you've experienced it. Not one you want to rewatch many times, but... Yeah. Yes, they actually had to... Damien had to make Whiplash 
before he could fund La La Land, he needed like some more backing and some more, you know, support. So he wanted to make Whiplash, but yeah, yeah. definitely shows his uh, penchant for jazz music. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm excited to check that out. Okay, so my next one, my last one for this episode, maybe, um, is one that I've always wanted to watch. Uh, it's extremely long is what I've always heard, and so I've been reluctant to watch it. And I still haven't, but it's a blind buy for me. Uh, I, I love frequenting thrift stores like Goodwill and uh, you know, other ones like that, and picking up you know, DVDs and sometimes Blu-rays for cheap. And, and this one was sealed. So it's in excellent condition. I didn't have to sanitize it like I usually have to. Um, So I'm glad to have picked up a really high-quality DVD of this, and I'm hoping to watch it soon during this quarantine. This is 1939's uh, Gone with the Wind. Nice. Um, You know, it's one of those just super-duper classics that I've never seen. So, uh, yeah, hoping to watch that soon. But it's a a good DVD copy. Now I have it. It's not available to stream. And yeah. now that I own it, I can split it up in a couple chunks since it's so long. Yeah. Kind of like when I watched The Irishman. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people were like that, like three and a half hour movie. You got to watch it in three or four sittings. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Uh, my next one is uh, for those of you who have listened before, you know how much I love the 1970s, especially American cinema at this time, the new Hollywood. And uh, I decided it would be a good idea um, to start picking up and collecting like the VHS from all those movies. So there's probably close to 50 movies that I really want to like own, kind of display on a shelf from that era. And I managed to find MASH from, I think, 71. Uh, it's a Robert Altman movie, 1970. Robert Altman, uh, I haven't seen it, but I heard good things. I heard it's funny and pretty groundbreaking at the time. So yeah, I wanted to, uh, highlight that and kind of Talk about how I'm collecting those on VHS. And then I'm also kind of on the side trying to collect those Disney movies, like the animated Mm -hmm. movies. I talked about that a little bit in Toy Story episode last week. But I have all of the Renaissance era Disney movies, like the 90s, um, from from The Little Mermaid up through Tarzan. And then I have the first four... Pixar movies on VHS. I found out that Monsters, Inc. was a VHS release originally, so managed to find that as well at the thrift store. And then I accidentally, speaking of Disney movies, I accidentally bought Frozen 2. (laughs) (laughs) Accidentally, because the pesky Disney movie club will send you automatically a movie that they decide you should own. Silly Disney. And if you don't say, no, I don't want this, then they will send it to you and charge you the money for it so now i own frozen 2 on 4k nice uh, which is fine i didn't love the movie but the animation is spectacular especially you know we talked about toy story compared to toy story i mean this looks like real people man yeah they, they did crazy. a really good job so yeah that's one and then i guess you have one more and then i have one more yeah i got one more here so i picked this up at goodwill I think it was the same trip as Gone with the Wind. I actually got a lot of stuff that trip. Nice. Uh, there's like they restocked or something, I guess. But uh, I got a one a one that I've seen uh, a couple times back in the day. Uh, I liked it quite a bit, but I saw this. It was on Blu-ray, and that's kind of rare for thrift stores for like $4, I think. So, I mean, it's a pretty good, pretty good deal. It's in pretty mint condition. It's got this slip cover, a little cardboard that goes over, and it's got a little like one of those changing lenticular covers. And this is uh, Pacific Rim. 
And I didn't actually know it was directed by Guillermo del Toro, so that's really cool. I yeah. I really like him a lot. I've seen Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth now, and been looking to look, uh, watch his other movies. But yeah, I just picked this up. Uh, I'll probably watch it again someday, but uh, the special effects are really cool. I think they did... He, he tends to try and use practical stuff as much as he can, and I think they use some uh, miniatures and yeah. things like that. They use a lot of animatronics, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that, which is really cool. Uh, there's probably some bonus features about that on this Blu-ray, but yeah, got that, so that's, yeah, that's what I got. Cool. My final one, because what would an episode of our show be without a mention of the Fast and Furious franchise? Yeah, I don't know. It's... Uh, <laughs> Both of us own the kind of eight-film Blu-ray set, yeah. but Hobbs and Shaw, which came out last year, I didn't own, and I found a good deal on it at Target. Uh, I managed to pick it up, and I'm excited to see it. I was going to watch it, you know, right before the new one came out, Fast 9, yeah. but, you know, that's coming out <laughs> next year thanks to, thanks to well, this stupid virus that's going around. But at least virus? I... <laughs> Just kidding. At least I own Hobbs Classic. and Shaw now and I can watch it. That's one of my favorite uh, Fast and Furious movies. Nice. So uh, I'm excited to see that again and all the exciting, intense action. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. It was one of my. can't remember how high it was on my 2019 list, but uh, I wanted to pick up the Blu ray as well to complete the whole Fast and Furious franchise, but you beat me to it. So now we have it around, so I yep. can watch it. <laughs> cool. Well, that is our five from the 50s lists. Yeah. And our monthly pickups from the month of March, going back into February a little bit, mm-hmm. probably mostly March. Uh, yeah. Again, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Give us your feedback. I keep saying this, but we're going to set up an email soon so that you can yeah. you know, let us know what you want to hear more of or you know, if you have any questions or um, thoughts for, for us as the hosts. Uh, we... We love doing this, you know. It's a it's a fun podcast that we enjoy doing, and uh, any feedback would be awesome because we honestly have no idea who's <laughs> listening or how many people. So just kind of go with the flow each week and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it's fun. I think we'll keep doing this. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, check us out on Letterboxd. Uh, yeah, mine is Barn Clark, or maybe it's Baron Clark. My full name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go just search. You go to the members tab or whatever i mean if you use letterbox you probably know how to find people on there it's a great app if you don't use it try using it yeah but uh, i'm at everett clark 236 nice uh check it out uh we're gonna be coming out with an episode pretty soon like i mentioned at the beginning about our what's entertaining us this week uh we've been watching tons of stuff because of the quarantine and we know you know you guys around the world are going to be quarantined as well so we want to maybe give you some ideas of stuff to watch if you're looking for new stuff to check out. Exactly. Yeah. We'll hopefully record that soon and get it up and Yeah. So be yeah. on the lookout. Be on the lookout, yeah. And Letterbox as well is a good place to find out what we're watching and, you know, read our reviews, other stuff that we don't talk about on the show. But mm-hmm. excellent, excellent. Cool. See you bro. See you bro. See ya.